A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave the only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not judged, but those who do not believe are judged already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the spirit of Lenten honesty, I share with you this confession about one of my lesser parenting moments. All parties involved have given me permission to share. Years ago, when our daughter was in preschool, she came home with a scraped elbow. It was a minor injury, and the preschool teachers had cleaned it up and put a Band-Aid on it. So it was all fine. Except that my daughter really hated Band-Aids at the time. In a vain effort to get her past this, we had bought Band-Aids with cartoon characters and Disney princesses and superheroes, but it turned out that the design of the Band-Aid wasn't the problem. And the putting on of the Band-Aid wasn't the problem. It was the taking off. It hurt, she said, which, to be fair, can be true, especially when pulling off a Band-Aid takes a little bit of you with it. So that day I asked her if I could look at her owie, and I got a very pronounced rejection. No mommy. And I was tired, and I didn't have the energy to fight it, so I just left it alone. I asked the next morning. No mommy. And I was rushing around, getting ready, and I didn't have the focus to persist, so I left it alone. Several days went by while we repeated this dance. Can I see your owie? No mommy. Until finally the band-aid fell off, and I realized immediately that my failure to deal with this had led to an infection, which led to a doctor visit and the word MRSA and a torrential wave of parental guilt, and two weeks of antibiotics, <clears throat> and a renewed determination not to let the Band-Aids win next time. She's fine now, by the way. Now, to be sure, there aren't any Band-Aids in this week's Gospel, but there are wounds. They're caused by snakes. And they show what can happen to us when we turn away from the hurt and the harm we carry, or the hurt and the harm we cause, hoping that 
maybe when the band-aid falls off, everything will be fine. If I learned anything from my preschooler, it's this. It's not likely. The gospel reading today comes from a larger story, from a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, who is a religious leader in the Jewish community. He comes to Jesus one night with a long list of questions, wondering exactly who Jesus is and what he's doing. They talk and talk and talk about flesh and spirit and being born again or from above, about the kingdom of God and ascending and descending into heaven, until finally Jesus reaches back way into the history of the Israelites and drags out one of the strangest and most difficult stories from their days of wilderness wandering. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That story about Moses and the serpent comes from the book of Numbers, which is a collection of stories of the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness after being freed from their enslavement in Egypt. It's a hard journey. They struggle with leadership, with basic needs like hunger and thirst, with identity and meaning, with how to find God when everything is shifting and unfamiliar. They complain a lot, which I used to judge harshly, but after the exhaustion of only one year of pandemic wilderness, much less 40, I find myself a lot more empathetic these days. Over and over again in the wilderness, God provides food when they're hungry, water when they're thirsty, a way to worship while they're displaced, pillars of cloud and fire to guide them by day and night. But finally, at one point, their laments turn to lies. They say there's no food and water, and the food we have is terrible. <laughs> Apparently forgetting the manna and drink they hold in their own hands. Snakes come among the people and begin to bite them. Now, the last time we read the story, I suggested that maybe the snakes at this point in the story are best understood as the people's destructive behavior come to life. That they turn to biting and snapping at each other and at God until they are no better than the beasts slithering at their feet. Or maybe the snakes were there the whole time, but were unable to harm anyone until the people became so divided and broken and angry and cruel that the snakes found the way into the separations between them and began to kill. However we understand it, they're dying. And so they cry out to God to save them. And God responds, God provides by instructing Moses to create an image of the thing that is causing the pain, the snake, and put it on a pole and telling the people to look at it, straight at it. And when they do, they live. It's just like that, Jesus says to Nicodemus, just like Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, that the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may live. So, what do we see 
when we look at Jesus lifted on a cross? Why do we need this image raised up for our gaze? An image so painful of suffering and harm, of an innocent life stolen by a system that was supposed to be about law and order. What about that hard image brings life? My first thought comes from the tale of the preschooler and the Band-Aid. And that is that in the cross, we see what's underneath the harm and the suffering that we all cause. We see what happens when we are quick to scapegoat, to blame others for something we have done. When we try to wash our hands of unjust systems and claim, well, we didn't set them up, it's not our fault. We see how quickly religion can be twisted into an excuse for silence and violence. But because those things are hard to look at, and especially because we want to avoid thinking about how we are part of the wounds, we try to avoid it. We look away. We're tired and rushing. We don't have time to deal with it right now, we tell ourselves. And so we just don't. And we hope that somehow everything will heal on its own. But it never works, does it? We have spent a year in which many wounds have been caused and other long-carried, long-endured wounds have been uncovered. A whole lot of Band-Aids have come off in the last 12 months, and underneath the infection rate is high. There have been those crying out in the wilderness about this for generations, while many of us didn't even realize the Band-Aids were there in the first place. So Jesus on the cross, like the serpent in the wilderness on that pole, shows us a hard truth. That true healing comes only when we look at what's underneath. When we're honest about what we've done and who we've been. Here's an example. Over the last few weeks, my husband and I have been watching the excellent PBS series, The Black Church, which I commend to you. And in the course of that series, we have seen images that are hard to bear of lynchings and shootings and enslaved people and burning crosses, among many others. Sometimes I want to close my eyes. I want to say, I didn't do that. But the cross says, you are in the world now. I have inherited the world that's built in such an unequal way. I can see the infection now, and the cross will not let me go until I ask what I am doing toward healing. But here's a second thing. The cross also will not let us go until we look at it long enough to recognize ourselves, our suffering and struggles our anxieties and dysfunctions, our addictions and fears, our 3 a.m. worry sessions, our self-loathing, our attempts to fill the emptiness inside us with anything we can ship to our homes in three days or less, our grief and our tears and the secrets we've never been able to say out loud. And the cross proclaims that there is nothing in death or life 
not angels or rulers or things present or things to come, not height or depth or anything else in creation that is able to separate us from the God on that cross. The God who chooses to go all the way underneath everything we try to hide, all the way to the center of everything that infects us to show us the way to healing and life. It does hurt to take off the band-aids we've tried to use to cover it up. It might feel like death, even, like the end. To be honest about who we are and what we've done and what others have done to us, maybe even what we've done to ourselves. It might take off several layers of who we thought we were. But look at that cross where waiting for us is the Jesus who has been there, who has gone all the way into the worst of it and come out the other side, who so loves the world and you and even the snakes that he does not give up, not now, not ever. May we love each other and the world and ourselves enough to take off the band-aids, to be honest about what's underneath, and then to work toward healing and life and resurrection for God's beloved world. Amen.